Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric, and today we're reading short and deep. Shadows by Clark Ashton Smith. I picked this up out of an issue of Weird Tales, February 1930. Uh, has a little, uh, well, substantial illustration. Uh, it's a little bit hard to see. Um, I think it was done in grease pencil, but um, I don't mind. <laughs> I think it it's just like uh, added vision. And I, I think they usually do a pretty good job of visioning what's going on in the poem. However, um, their vi- the vision in the poem itself in the words is even richer than the illustration to go with it. And uh, I'm a big, big fan of Clark Ashton Smith. I find him incredibly um, uh, difficult <laughs> to wrestle with because he has... Uh, lots of words I need to look up because <laughs> he. I think uh, I, I don't know if you we talked about this before, but he was he was didactic uh, in the sense that he saw, he taught himself everything, right? You mean autodidactic? Yeah, he was an autodidact, but um, he read he read everything in the library at his his small town, and then he did interlibrary exchange, and he had numerous correspondence. He was something of a child prodigy, a prodigy that didn't, you know, sort of flag out as soon as he got out of high school. I don't think he went to much high school. Um, so he taught himself a lot of words, and they're just not words that um, people in regular life are using often. Um, so we may have to do some definitions for regular folks, because I pride <laughs> myself on vocab words, and this one has at least three that are pretty hard, I think. But uh, maybe you'd like to read it. Uh, I've had the privilege of reading it a few times. Um, would you care to give that privilege to everybody else? Sure. Um, be ha- happy to read this poem. Uh, so this is Weird Tales of February 1930. It's called Shadows. Uh, my guess is that in the pre-internet days, and certainly for someone in a small town with limited resources. Um, one would read this poem, and if you hit a word you didn't know, you just keep right on reading. You have to. <laughs> so I think, I think I'll read it, <laughs> and then we can go back and maybe try to talk about the individual word choices. Please. Shadows. Thy shadow falls on the fount, on the fount with a marble wall, And in alien time and space, on the towns of a doomed race, the shadows of glaciers mount, and patchouli's shadows crawl, on the mottling of boas that bask in the fire of a moon fantasque, and the light shades of bamboo flutter and ruffle and lift, in the silver dawn they sift on the meadows of Xanadu. They shall fall till the light be done by moon and crescent and sun from gnomon and fir tree and throne and the vine caught monoliths leaning in the woods of a world far flown. They shall pass on the parapems of the planets of Algabar. They shall follow the somber gems of an empress of Mizar. They shall move on the primal plains 
in the broken thunder and rains, they shall happily reel and soar where the red volcanoes roar from the peaks of a blackening sun. They shall happily float and run from the tails of the lyre birds preening on the palms of a magic mead, and their mystery none shall read, and none shall have known their meaning ere night and the shadows are one. Mm-hmm. When you read it, it makes it sound so simple. <laughs> um, I, 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 I approach these as sort of mysteries to be solved. And the first time I read it, I was like, who are, who is thy, thy shadows fall on the fount. So um, we actually have, how many sentences? Is this just two sentences? I think it is. Pretty much. Yeah. The first stanza is a sentence. The second stanza is a slightly longer sentence. And they're both long sentences. And they're images. Um, there's some other things other than visuals in there, like patchouli <laughs> is uh, something I associate with scent rather than uh, visual. Mm-hmm. But um, but it actually comes from a plant. Yes. So when it says patchouli shadows crawl, right. it can still be a shadow cast Absolutely. by a plant, although it's clearly olfactory. Yeah, fires have scents and uh, fir trees have scents. Right, so there's lots of other things other than visuals, um, but the dominant is the visual, and yet I'm still, I'm still, I think there's still mystery there, even though I've, you know, searched up every vocab word, and there's some <laughs> references, um, but there's, I was thinking, is this a true story? <laughs> I know that's kind of a weird question, um, but I think it is. I, I think there's some speculation, <laughs> like I'm not sure there is an empress in Mizar. But I think it might be a true story in the sense that is this a, is this a, a an event that happened or is it an event that happens, right? And I think that what I'm basically pointing to is that although this feels like sort of a f- fantastic uh, romantic, and I mean you know ro- uh, the romantics of the poetry movement uh, kind of poem about just nature and the s- light. Uh, and shadow. Um, I think it's also cosmic in scope, and because of that, it's it's more existential and more about what is than it. Its sound devices give it on maybe a first reading. So uh, could I, if I, yeah, if I may, it. let me. Uh, I think if I'm understanding what you're suggesting, you're making a distinction between. A uh, a perfect report and an iterative report. Mm-hmm. That is, you're making the distinction between I will go to the grocery store on Sunday and I will go to the grocery store on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it all really depends. And what you're saying, that latter is what's called iter- iterative. Mm-hmm. And, and you're viewing this as, in fact, in, uh, it's a, it's, there's a narration of something going on, the lengthening of the shadows. But um, you are saying that it's, it's iterative. And if, if that is the case, I completely agree with you. Yes, I am saying that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I do see it as, as a sort of a what, – what did you say? Not universal? I was saying – it's no, iterative. iterative. It's something that that simply 
Yes, it's something that goes on and on and on. It's yeah. the same thing repeatedly. I agree. Like, as I said, I go to the grocery store on Sundays. Um, yeah, I'm not I, sure there is a an Empress of Mizar, at, at least at the moment. I'm ho- I hope there is, uh, or at least I'd be interested to hear there is. But it's possible in uh, two or three millennia there will be, or uh, five or six millennia in the past there was... Or maybe there's been continuously. So I'm a little bit skeptical about that. Meadows of Xanadu, I, I'm pretty sure they're not anywhere near my house. But um, I do think it, a lot depends on who thy is. Thy shadow falls. And if we can figure out who that is, who the thy is, um, I think we'll see the connection to the meaning that's requested in the end. Um, the final lines are, from the tales of the lyrebirds preening on the palms of the magic mead, and their mystery none shall read, and none shall know their meaning, ere night and the shadows are one. Um, I think that this is, it's not exactly a scientific poem, but it's a, form, a poem informed by by the science that uh, Clark Ashton Smith was well aware of. Um, and, and maybe so, we need to go through line by line and bring that out. So I was going to say, I actually, uh, I think I know who thy is. Okay. Um, but I, I'd like to hold that off to make sure that we know what all of these odd words mean mm-hmm. and really are able to follow what is being said in the poem in an explicit way. So I'll sit back and listen unless you skip over a word I think needs definition. Okay. Uh, you, we, okay so go, I'm saying, why don't you go through the poem again? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've read it. Now, now you read it, but, but stop us on any word that you think of as uh, profiting by a little bit of definition. Sure. Thy shadows fall on the fount, on the fount with the marble wall. And in alien time and space, on the towns of a doomed race, and there's a little line over the, uh, what, what's that uh, kind of it's mark? It's a grave accent. Grave, it's grave, a grave accent. Grave accent. Um, it makes you say doomed rather than doomed, right? Yep. I like, I like saying doomed. On the towns of a doomed race, the shadows of glaciers mount and patchouli shadows crawl. On the mottling of boas that bask. Now, I'm assuming here the boas are the animal rather than the feather device, but we're talking about a snake. I um, agree. Uh, which has mottled uh, backs. It's actually a pattern uh, rather than regular mottling, so that's a little interesting. And bask is a beautiful word, meaning something that snakes do, uh, heat up in the sun uh, or on rocks that are soaking up the sun. Um, in the fire of a moon, fantask and fantask is spelled um, F A N T A S Q U E, which is pretty rare. But I, I say see it as sort of a variation on, on fantastic. Um, the OE, the Oxford English Dictionary agrees with you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fun to say fantask as well. Um, uh, and the lights of shade, and the light shades of bamboo flutter and ruffle and lift in the silver dawn they sift and that's a great vocab word here he's just a great chooser of words 
on the meadows of Xanadu. He spelt Xanadu, Z-A-N-A-D-U, rather than X-A-N-A-D-U, which is uh, the more traditional poem, I guess, version of this place, if it's a real place. Um, (laughs) And uh, I I just want to note that if you think about the shadows and what we're seeing, um, it's a, it's, it's super visual. We've got moving bamboo, fluttering, ruffling, lifting. And the thing that we're seeing is not the bamboo itself, but rather its shadow and its movement as the light source moves. The movement of the shadow and the movement of the thing casting the shadow is all pictured in the shadow. That's just beautiful imagery. So let's keep going. Next stanza. They shall fall. Oh, you got something? Yeah, I just wanted to say I'm, I'm not sure that that what I'm saying is clear from what you just said. That that word you said sift was a terrific word. Mm-hmm. If you've ever walked in a bamboo forest, mm-hmm. which uh, you can even in cities like Vancouver, if you go to a Chinese uh a Chinese garden, one of those formal gardens. Um, when the light falls at many angles because of the long, thin leaves of bamboo, when um, when there's any wind whatsoever, you wind up getting a, uh, a crosshatch pattern of shadow mm-hmm. that falls. Or if one likes, one can turn that around and think of the crosshatch pattern of shadow like the um, the the crossed wires of a sieve. Mm-hmm. And so when it says flutter and ruffle and lift in the silver dawn, they sift on the meadows of Xanadu. It's the dawn that is being sifted mm-hmm. by the shadows. So this is cross. It's a, I, anyway, it's, I agree with you fully. It's a very visual poem, but it takes a little time sometimes to unpack what it is you're seeing. It's not just, Oh look, there's a shadow. So for example, he says, there's a fountain. It's a fountain on a wall. And when you think about those um, public fountains in Rome, those ancient fountains where you have a head that is in bar in in uh, in high relief against a wall, and out of the mouth comes water. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's what we're getting. We're getting not just a fountain. We're getting a fountain against a mar- that's part of a marble wall. But this is incredibly. Um, precise kinds of sites that we're getting and we can we can in fact find them all in our world absolutely and yet in in that same stanza it's an alien time and space um this is actually a familiar place this is a garden essentially somebody has cultivated this place as a place of of almost meditation of appreciating the beauty of nature in a non-natural place at least that's the way i see it Uh, it, with that wall and the marble wall and the fount that's all garden-like and then with the bamboo and the movement and someone there to appreciate it or at least an a visual representation of it in a poem someone there maybe having written it down or imagining it in their own head having seen these things and appreciated them he he doesn't just give you a picture of of a particular place. It is, as you say, iterative. And we have 
it's a town of a doomed race. And yes. and time is passing. I also want to point out that if you are seeing light intensely through, um, especially dawn or uh, sunset light, you can sometimes see shadows that are not only black <laughs> or mm. dark. You, can, I've seen red shadows, and it's incredible. I didn't. I thought someone had spray painted the trees. I, I did not believe it. I ran up and I put my hand up to where it was, and I had a red shadow that was coming through the the atmosphere. Uh, but you can see green shadows uh, when it passes through a leaf, bamboo leaf. Um, in the second stanza, we get uh, most of the heavy lifting in terms of uh, vocabulary work. Um, I'll read that one. They shall fall till the light be done by moon and crescent and sun. Now, crescent is, again, it's something I know about, but I didn't have a word for. It's it's basically a lamp holder or a, it's a brazier, I guess, except smaller. It's a thing for holding hot, uh, burnable material. Um, usually it's made of metal or stone. And you might see them, uh, I don't know, uh, in, instead of torches on walls, I've never mm-hmm. I've never seen one in in real life, but I uh, I think they exist in Dungeons and Dragons games for sure. Um, it's sort of like a lacrosse um, basket at the end of a pole. Mm-hmm. You, know, you you put something burning in there, or you have some oil in there that you light, and because it's metal, you can carry it around with you, or you can stick it in a holder on a wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, that's a crescent, right? Uh, they shall fall till the night, uh, till the light be done, by moon and crescent and sun. So those are all three things reflecting, or, or giving off light themselves. The moon reflects light, or moons reflect light. Crescents give off light, and so does sun. Uh, from gnomon and fir tree and throne, uh, gnomon. Uh, if, if I'm remembering this correctly, that is the little thing that sticks up on a sundial that tell, basically gives you the ha- the single hand. Is there only a single hand on a sundial? I think there is. Yes. Yeah. Unless you've got like maybe some holes in it or something. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a it's a shadow hand for a sundial. It casts the shadow mm-hmm. that lets the sundial be red. Right. Uh, from Nomen and Fir Tree and Throne. Now Fir Tree again sticks up and can cast a shadow, and apparently thrones mm. cast shadows too, which makes sense. Um, Especially but, if you believe in sun kings. And um, I'm thinking, you know, the the shadow of a throne is usually a nation. Um, mm. So he's not he's not a dumb guy. This Clark Ashton Smith, he's really a weaver, and he chooses very beautiful thread. Uh, and the vine caught monoliths leaning. In the woods of a world far flown, they shall pass. Now, notice the first stanza started with thy, the second one starts with they, and I'm a little worried about who this they is. <laughs> I think the they is the shadows. I think you're right. They shall pass on the parapems. Is that how we, how we pronounce it? Yep, it's like diaphragm. You just okay. swallow, swallow the G. Okay, para, parapems. <laughs> um, these are basically a stone or wooden no no stone or metal plate affixed in a public place maybe giving laws 
Really? Like, no spitting or something like that. Um, that's what I that's what I got when I looked that one up. Well, according to the OED, uh, I'm trying to look it up again. Uh, uh, parapegma is the the right word, uh, but anyway, a parapem is a fixed period of time, mm-hmm. um, or a chronological canon. That is to say, uh, you know, this is how long it should be um, in ancient Greece. Um, also an astronomical or meteorological calendar written on a stone tablet with movable pegs used to insert the days uh-huh. of the month side of the text. Uh-huh. So this is, this is another timekeeping unit or, or tool like the gnomon and the fir tree and the throne. Okay. That, that's not the one I got. I've got an engraved tablet, usually a brass set up in a public place. Used for publication of laws, proclamations, and recording. That's the important part. Recording of astronomical phenomena or calendar events. Um, I did not know about that uh, that time aspect, um, which is very interesting. But I think both are important, and I think he's using both the idea of of uh, laws, proclamations like no spitting, um, or uh, the Code of Hammurabi. You know, famously set up on a public a public place telling what the what the laws are essentially um those things ultimately uh go away um and i think that's important for our story here <laughs> mm-hmm. um so they shall pass on the parapegums no i'm saying it wrong how do you say it parapems parapems on the planets of algebar now i'm pretty sure that's a star Somewhere, it's Rigel. Actually, it's okay. a, it's another name for Rigel, which All is right. in Orion. Nice, I know, I know his belt, and he's got a head <laughs> and stuff like that too. E- relatively easy to spot in the sky. Um, of the planets of Algebar, they shall follow the somber gems of an empress R- of right, rhyming with parapens. Mm-hmm. Okay, makes yeah. sense. They shall follow the somber gems of an empress of Mizar. Now, uh, from my memory of this, Mizar is one of the... It's the middle of the handle of the Big Dipper. Oh. I'm going by memory, but um, yeah. I didn't know that. I looked it up and found it to be a province in Turkey. It's probably that, too, because uh, Clark Ashton Smith was a very well-read young man. Um. I'm getting second star magnitude star in the handle of the Big Dipper. Um, the the Big Dipper has uh, four um, stars in the handle. Um, it's also called the Plow, I think. Um, but I think it's it, also it, Ursa Major. Right, right. Um, relatively, and if you if you follow the uh, the you know the Big Dipper is important for me because it's a way of finding Polaris and North. Um, right. So, I got a handle on this word. <laughs> <laughs> of an empress of Mizar, they shall move on the primal plains uh, in the broken thunder and rains. They shall haply reel and soar where the red volcanoes roar from the black peaks of a blackening sun. They shall haply float and run. Now, Haply is in there twice. It's one of the few repeated words that's relatively rare. Um, I love haply. 
I've never seen it used before, but I know hap um, because I happen to use it a lot <laughs> in the word happen. And I looked up that word years and years ago. Well, maybe not. Maybe just a couple years ago now that I think about it. And I remember it basically is about luck and fortune. And so what happens is um, is what fate decrees in a sense. Um, and I, re- I remember looking this up because there was this word to describe characters in comic novels. Uh, uh, Donald Westlake novel had a character who was called hapless. And I thought, what does that mean? And basically it means unlucky. It's not exactly unlucky, but it's pretty close to unlucky. Fated would be another way of putting it, but the fate is without good luck in a certain sense. So happily both sounds uh, like happy, which gives us a feeling, but it also means inevitable or fated. That's my reading on it. That's not how I understand happily, but it's it's in the right neighborhood. I think of it as accidental. Yep. Happenstance comes from that same meaning of the word of the happen happily. Right, right. Um, uh, but but of course, when one says he's hapless, that means unfortunate. Yes. You know, for, for, fortune is is the key to understanding it. It's from it's from you know not a modern language, so it's hard to it's hard to capture completely. But what I love is he's using it in both a sense of uh, luck and fortune and also in the sense of the sound. They shall happily yes. reel and soar where the red volcanoes roar from the peaks of a blackening sun. They shall happily float and run from the tails of the lyrebirds preening on the palms of a magic mead. And I think mead here is, should be read as uh, kind of the same thing as a meadow. I agree. And there mystery none shall read, and none shall have known their meaning, ere night and the shadows are one. So, um, (laughs) I think it's about light, (laughs) and more importantly, shadow, and how they're connected in basically one. But what they do is not to be understood while we are around. We can predict them we can see them happen and they go everywhere light and shadow um but until all the shadows are everywhere the meaning of it, all this beauty and all this movement of light and shadow and pattern of light and shadow is not for us to know <laughs> that's how i, I read it i agree i would go uh add a few details. Mm-hmm. I think, for example, when we're told that if we think that they is the shadows mm-hmm. or they are the shadows, um, when they happily reel and soar. That's not how shadows normally advance, but they're doing this where the red volcanoes roar. Mm-hmm. So like that red shadow that you saw, um, what we have here is light coming from the magma of the, um, the volcano and it roils and therefore the shadows shift. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, so much of that, and the same thing, the tails of the lyre birds. I'm picturing a male peacock with mm-hmm. his, his feathers spread. Those shadows are moving around because 
the the light is moving around, but it's red light. It's it's getting closer and closer to sunset. Um, none will understand their meaning before night and shadows are one. But the fact is, night and shadows will never become one. They may seem one to human eyes, but there is a radical difference. Um, that is, night is a time without light, whereas shadows is a time when the light is being prevented. And I think now here I'm going to just. Uh, this this will take a couple of minutes, Jesse, but mm-hmm. I'd like to suggest here that a key to this poem, which, which I we're understanding in the same way, and I think we're both agreeing that whatever is this uh, this wonderful place, it's it's uh, a dream place, as you called it earlier. It is uh, shadowed, and as wonderful as it may seem, it. The, the light is progressing in such a way that it's becoming ever more shadowed. We go from the silver dawn um, all the way through to uh, the premonition of night and the shadows becoming one, impossible though that may be. So we're going through half a day, but in this iterative poem, we always go through the half a day of light going away, mm. of light going away. It's a doom at race. I think the key to it, so we are agreeing with this, right? Mm -hmm. I I want to make sure. Okay. So here's what I want to jump, run in on. I think that a key here is the spelling of Xanadu, Mm -hmm. which in your Canadian reading was spelled Z-A-N-A-D-U, or for me, Z-A-N-A-D-U, as opposed to Coleridge's Mm -hmm. um, Xanadu in the poem known as Kubla Khan which famously begins with reference to Xanadu. Um, we don't have the time to do in detail what I think this poem deserves, but I, so let me just lay out my idea here, mm-hmm. and then perhaps it will work. It's, it should go more slowly. I think that Shadows is a commentary on or continuation of Kublai Khan. By Coleridge. Mm. Both of these poems begin with the imagination of some place that's a wonderful dream place, and both of them end up in unknowable doom. Both of them um, use the same kind of rhyme, um, which is sometimes couplets, sometimes embraced rhyme, sometimes we get a piece of what looks like a stanza where the embraced line. The embrace, embracing of uh, the rhyme words are separated by three or five lines. Uh, the, the ch- it changes again and again. Both of them are writing poetry that's counting feet, not syllables. Mm-hmm. So the actual syllable lengths change. So basically, Smith is using the prosodic devices of of Coleridge. But I think he's also showing us that you can change it a little and it's still in that world. Xanadu with a Z, not Xanadu with an X. Mm-hmm. So with that idea of starting out with a dream, but look where it goes and so on, lots of nature imagery, let me remind you by reading it um, of Kublai Khan. In Xanadu did Kublai Khan a stately pleasure dome decree. So he's like the empress of Mizar, right? He's, mm-hmm. Where Alf... The first letter of the alphabet, it's the beginning of everything. Where Alf, the sacred river, ran through caverns measureless to man down to a sunless sea. 
That's where we're getting to in Smith, the sunlessness. So twice five miles of fertile ground with walls and towers were girdled round, and there were gardens bright with sinuous rills where blossomed many an incense-bearing tree. See the patchouli shadows? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Enfolding sunny spots of greenery. See the sifting bamboo? Mm-hmm. But oh, that deep romantic chasm which slanted down the green hill athwart a cedarn cover, meaning cedars are overhanging like the fir tree in Smith. A savage place as holy and enchanted as air beneath a waning moon was haunted by woman wailing for her demon lover. And from this chasm with ceaseless turmoil seething as if this earth in fast thick pants were breathing, a mighty fountain momently was forced this Smith begins with the fount. Mm-hmm. This is on a wall of the stately pleasure dome. And whose swift half intermittent burst, the fountain, huge fragments vaulted like rebounding hail. Think of the volcano mm-hmm. or chaffy grain beneath the thresher's flail. And mid these dancing rocks at once and ever, it flung up momently the sacred river, five miles meandering with a mazy motion through wood and dale of the sacred river ran, then reached the caverns measureless to man and sank in tumult to a lifeless ocean. And amid this tumult, Kubla heard from far the ancestral voices prophesying war. The shadow of the dome of pleasure floated midway on the waves. Where was heard the mingled measure from the fountain and the caves? It was a miracle of rare device, a sunny pleasure dome with caves of ice. No sun, no cold. It's cold now. A damsel with a dulcimer in a vision once I saw. It was an Abyssinian maid. And on her dulcimer, she played singing of Mount Abora. Could I revive within me her symphony and song to such deep delight would win me that with music loud and long, I would build that dome there, that sunny dome, those caves of ice. And all who heard should come, should there them should see them there and all should cry, beware, beware his flashing eyes, his floating hair. Weave a circle round him thrice and close your eyes with holy dread, for he on honeydew hath fed and drunk the milk of paradise. In other words, the he who is doing this, who's really seeing it, Kubla, mm-hmm. he's got this dream of paradise, but the fact of having dreamt it has now marked him and destroyed him forever because you can never get to paradise. You can never really know that. This is like La Belle Dame Sans Merci, mm-hmm. which we've discussed before. And so what I think Clark Ashton Smith is doing is saying, ah, he drunk the milk of paradise. Right? Thy shadow falls on the fount, Kublai Khan. Right? Mm-hmm. Your, your loss falls on that fount, on the fount with the marble wall, the builded dome of pleasure dome. And in alien time and space, that's back when you did it, right, in in Asia with its bamboo and so on and its snakes, right, its patchouli, back when you did it or in any alien place, because as you said, Jesse, this is iterative. It could be another planet. It could be Algabar, which looks a whole lot like algebra, which makes it which is also comes from the Arabic. It looks like the way in which we work out the movements of the stars and the planets. Parapan is 
the rule by which we get the planets, planets to move or the distances they move. Thy shadow falls on the fount. It's Kubla Khan trying to imagine it that makes all of this, this fountain, this water, like Alf the Sacred River in Coleridge, ultimately not give us what we want. Ultimately, the shadows do creep on. These are primal planes. This is something that's built into human perception and desire and the failure of that desire forever. So basically what I'm saying is that if we were to have just read Coleridge and then immediately thereafter read The Smith, we would realize that what Smith is saying to Coleridge is there's always more to say. Thanks very much for listening. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.com.